What's up, everybody? This is the Booch, and this shout-out goes to all of the members of the Booch Cast Nation. On behalf of the entire team and all of my affiliates, I would like to take this opportunity to thank you guys so much from the bottom of our hearts for your continued support of the Boochcast. Whether it's wrestling recaps, interviews, politics, variety shows, movie reviews, whatever episodes we come out with, you guys listen, you guys tune in, and you show your support. And it means the world to us. And we're going to commence with this latest episode in just a moment. But I want to take this opportunity right now to let you guys know something really huge that is going on in the world of the booch. I am now officially on Cameo. That's right. The Cameo. The same Cameo where celebrities go and give personal shout-out videos for all their fans. And I'm here to let you guys know that for the affordable price of just $25, you can get a personalized video from me on Cameo. And it can be for any occasion that you want. You got somebody you want me to wish a happy birthday? I'll make it happen. You want me to congratulate someone on graduating high school or college? I'll make it happen. Whether it's a happy holidays video, it can be a gender reveal, it can be somebody who needs some motivation, you want the boots to motivate you, or if you got somebody in your life that you want to break up with, I'll help make the breakup happen. Or if you got somebody in your life that you want to tell to fuck off. And you want it done Booch style. All you got to do is go to Cameo.com slash Booch365. There'll be a link in the description box of every episode of the Booch cast from now till the end of time. Go there, book your video, customize it however you want. Let me know how you want it done. And I will make it happen for you. So go to Cameo.com slash Booch365 right now and book your personalized video today for the affordable price of $25. And now, on with the show. I surprised. 
What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week, ladies and gentlemen, we have a classic pay-per-view review, or as I like to call it, a new classic pay-per-view review, because this is not one that I pulled out from the old SoundCloud days. This baby right here is brand spanking new as we are talking to you in real time. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show the man who joins me for the classic pay-per-view reviews, the one, the only, Gatorick! Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not Gary right now. I'm Richard at this moment, as we have a very somber and important task that we must take care of before the pay per view review. Yes. For those of you who may not have seen the uh, the Fighter Fest uh, recap that I did um, at the time you're listening to this, it will have been a few weeks back. Uh, we had the the passing of Terry Funk. I mentioned a little bit about it uh, during the Fighter Fest. I gave uh, basically just a short, you know, he passed away. Thoughts and prayers and hearts go out to the family. I didn't well, say this is also the reason why we got Barbara Streisand's nose. Yes, that's the other reason why you're probably wondering what the hell was that. Well, it was a song from Terry Funk that uh, Richard requested we put on here. And uh, for those of you who didn't listen to Fire Fest, basically the reason we're waiting till now to talk about this is because with Gator's schedule, it's hard to get him on um, sometimes. But we were able to make this happen. And G- Richard has gone on record saying that Terry Funk was his absolute favorite wrestler of all time. So I felt if we're going to talk about Terry Funk, if we're going to talk about his career, if we're gonna really do something special, I felt Richard should be the one to do it. Because, like I said, I, I obviously I, I love Terry Funk, respect him a great deal. I just didn't grow up watching a lot of his matches. I caught Terry Funk at the tail end of his career when people were telling him to hang it up, and he was basically saying "fuck you guys," I can still go. So that's the Terry Funk Vinny, I know. Vinny caught Vinny caught middle aged and crazy Terry Funk. See, I did. I sent Vinny a video during during the day today. Um, did you get the video I sent you? Uh, yeah. I don't know if I had a chance to look at it because I was in a meeting. NWA, it came from the NWA. Yes, I think I saw that video. Yes. Yes, I sent Vinny a video that come from the NWA back when Terry Funk was NWA champion. Him and his brother Dory were one of the few besides Jack and Jerry Briscoe brother champions of the NWA. That's the Terry Funk I grew up with. Yes, he was crazy. Yes, he did the hardcore stuff. Yes. But he also had this way of controlling a crowd, had this way of backing people down. I mean, there was a whole list of things that I could give you that Vinny was missing out on. I told Vinny, I said, look, did you check out his Memphis days? Him and his rivalry with Jerry Lawler, the the no DQ match, the, you know, the empty arena match. I mean, these things are famous with Memphis. Uh, It's not just ECW and, and Chainsaw Charlie. Yes, there was definitely more to Terry Funk than that, and I knew um, Richard would be the perfect person to explain that to everyone, and that's why I'm giving him the floor to talk about Terry. Yes. Over the course of his career, Funk has wrestled for numerous major promotions. Among them are All Japan Pro Wrestling, ECW, the International Wrestling Association of Japan, FMW, USWA, WCW, WWF, as well as multiple NWA National Wrestling Alliance territories, including Big Time Wrestling out of uh, Detroit, Championship Wrestling from Florida, that's self-explanatory, Georgia Championship Wrestling, again, self-explanatory, and Stampede Wrestling out of Canada. He was the promoter, along with his father and brother, of the Amarillo-based Western State Sports Promotion. He started his career in 1965, working in in his father's territory, Dory Funk Sr., Western State's Promotion in Amarillo, Texas. His debut match was against Sputnik Monroe on December 9th. He 
his brother Dory quickly rose up the ranks as a team and in single matches against top names like Ernie Ladd, Hank James, and all sorts of large names around the Texas area. They became big money makers. Florida, he was there from 1970 to 1982. During this time, he defeated Jack Briscoe in 1975 for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in Miami. Dory failed to appear for a title shot. Uh, he began a 14-month-long reign defending against Jack Briscoe, Dusty, Carlos Racha, the Giant Baba, Pat O'Connor. In addition to North America, he defended the belt in Australia, Japan, and Singapore. Lots of different things. He also wrote 1972 to 1991. He was in all Japan, along with the World Wrestling Federation in 1985, all the way to 1986. This is when he made his debut, debuted in, in June 1985, after a brief run in the AWA, in his television debut on Championship Wrestling, he not only beat Aldo Moreno, but he also put a beating on ring announcer Mel Phillips. He went on to uh, be a part of WrestleMania 2, and then of course we have World Championship Wrestling 1984 to 1990, and of course 1994, that great match with Ric Flair, and that whole I Quit match stipulation at Clash of Champions 9, and then the International Wrestling Association of Japan from 94 until 95. And then, of course, what Vinny knows him as, middle-aged and crazy in extreme championship wrestling from 1993 all the way up to 1997. Even And then, finally, of course, with Chainsaw, the Chainsaw Charlie, Charlie stuff in the late 90s in WWE, teaming up with Cactus Jack, who would later become his protege. At the end of the day, there's a thing about Harry Funk. He wrestled many styles and evolved along many years into what he him as this legend crazy but that being said the man was a wrestler first and amarillo there's countless matches that we could talk about countless different things programs the old texas death matches benny doesn't like terry funk was one of the pioneers he is going to be greatly missed and he is up there with one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, um, you know, Terry Funk, he definitely was. He was one of the all-time greats. He was also one of the few um, wrestlers in his era that was able to transition um, into film and stuff. Like, one thing he's most known for was he was actually a bouncer in the movie Roadhouse, which I actually saw that movie for the first time, like, six months ago. And I was like, damn, is that Terry Funk? So he was definitely good in that. And he was also good friends with Sylvester Stallone because they did a bunch of movies together. Uh, he was in Paradise Alley and Over the Top. So him and I didn't know I didn't know he and Stallone were friends. So that was kind of cool. And then of course he was in Beyond the Mat. Most people know him from that as well. And I also didn't know this. Did you know he was in an episode of Thunder in Paradise with Hulk Hogan? Yes, I did not know that. Yeah. And they also he was featured in you know some of the WWE video games and of course you know toured all over the world. So Terry Funk is definitely you know definitely a legend, definitely an icon, and definitely somebody that um the wrestling world is gonna miss. No doubt about it. Yes. Now back to your regularly scheduled Gator. Hello, Mr. Boots, ready? <laughs> Hello, Gator. Hello. I'm sorry. I had to get all I had to get all serious and let the TSA agent take care of that. Yes, uh, I appreciate that. So what we're gonna do, ladies and gentlemen, is we're gonna get into the classic pay-per-view reviews. And how this works is uh, Gator and myself, uh, we get together and we analyze uh, classic pay-per-views from WWE, WCW, and ECW, and we look at them from the perspective of not just two people who are fans of wrestling, but also from the perspective of two people who work in the business. Gator is, of course, a wrestler, a manager, a 
like, he's been a referee, he's done announcing, he's done commentary, he's popped the popcorn, he teaches at a wrestling school. He pretty much has the industry covered. I, of course... I also, I also know how to check prostate. That too. Uh, I, I, of course, am a commentator, ring announcer, manager. I've popped the popcorn, I've done street team shit, I pray to God I never have to fucking do again. I've chauffeured wrestlers to and from the building. I manage Buff Bagwell from time to time. I pretty you much have... I'm sorry? You brought the pizza? Yes. I pretty much have the uh, the industry covered as well. So between the two of us... And when he got there, he said, pizza, baby. Absolutely. And so what we're going to analyze this week, ladies and gentlemen, is WWE No Mercy 1999. Now, we're doing this in honor of the fact that by the time you're listening to this, this coming Saturday, NXT is going to have a premium live event entitled No Mercy. So since NXT is bringing back No Mercy for this show, we thought it'd be apropos to do what is technically the first No Mercy um, for you know WWE in America, but apparently there was the first one was actually done in the UK. Yes, yes, yes. And then they brought one to the States, and it took place on October 17th, 1999 at the Gund Arena in Cleveland, Ohio, and the previous one was held exclusively for the United Kingdom, and it was held in May. It was moved to the United States and established No Mercy as an annual pay-per-view until 2008. There was 18,742 people in attendance. We have uh, on commentary, of course, the, the traditional team, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. Uh, the Spanish commentators, as always, are Carlos Cabrera and Hugo Savanovich. Savinovich. Savinovich, sorry. Uh, Michael Cole's doing the backstage interviewing, and the ring announcer is Howard Finkel, and our referees for the evening are Mike Kyoto, Earl Hebner, Jim Corderas, Tim White, the late Tim White, rest in peace, and Teddy Long. And we're going to kick things off here with our first official match of the evening. We have The Godfather going one-on-one against Midian with Viscera. Okay, boring match. They should have cut the time in half because it was tough to watch. Uh, Putting on an opening match that's more exciting would have been smarter than this matchup between two bigger guys. Midian got no reaction, while at least Godfather got the crowd into it with his pre-match promo. Godfather got the win and danced with the hoes. So then referee Tim White, the late Tim White, God bless, uh, danced with the hoes as well, and that was funny. Yes, it was very entertaining, and of course, um, the Godfather, uh, his his, his promo, he basically comes out and goes, it's time once again for everybody to come aboard the, and the crowd yells, ho train. He goes, hey, I know I ain't the only one. Is there any pimps up in this house? And the crowd goes crazy. He goes, y'all already know that the Godfather be smoking worldwide, man. I want you to roll a fatty for this pimp daddy. Light that blunt up and say, pimping ain't easy. Because the crowd hadn't been, the crowd wasn't yelling it with him yet. So I think this is where Godfather had to teach the audience to say, light one up and say, pimpin' ain't easy. So he was he was over, but he wasn't that over yet. Um, Midian comes out with Viscera, and then Midian gets down on all fours. So Godfather, I love this part, he gets down on all fours. And all of a sudden, the Godfather gets serious. And this is the thing I love about the Godfather, is he, he has the playful gimmick, he plays to the crowd, he's a player, he's a pimp, he's fun. But whenever he gets serious, his demeanor changes, his attitude changes. And the crowd is just like, oh shit. He goes, I'ma get down on I'ma get down so I make sure you understand me. Now it seems like I ain't got no farm animals. You don't want no hoes. So I'm just gonna kick your ass. 
Loved it. That to me was a solid promo. I love that. And now again, the match was about was the match um was you know like I said uh not a great opener as a uh, uh, Gator pointed out. Although I did notice you know at one point uh Godfather shoots him off, goes for the hoe train. Uh, Viscera grabs one of the hoes, and Godfather gets distracted, allowing Minion to knock him over the top rope. I thought that was a great distraction. I like the fact that Viscera took advantage of the hose to allow Godfather to get there. I thought that was great distraction. I thought it was great psychology for the opening of that match. Although at one point, Midian slams Godfather on the barricade, and Gator, I want you to take on this. It looked like he missed completely. Was that a botch? Uh, he overshot it, but yeah. Yeah, because I was like, what the fuck, dude? That was that was a horrible slam. And then Viscera slams him into the ring apron while Midian distracts the ref. Great psychology. Uh, Viscera then hits a right hand while Midian distracts the ref. This was happening way too many times in the match. I'm like, and, and it goes back to something Gary and I always talk about before. You a spot. You can overdo a spot, but you know why that spot was overdone? Why? Because they fucked it up the first time. Valid point. Some some people just don't know when to give up. Exactly. When you overdo a spot, it eventually gets annoying to the audience, and it kills whatever babyface comeback you're trying to make. Like, if it happens too many times, the audience gets desensitized, and that was just... If you get too to desensitized, too de-violent... Okay, it's like I always say. If they see you fucking the family dog so many times, they're not going to be shocked that you're fucking the family dog. Exactly. Although, outside of that, they had a few basic shit they were doing, and in the end, the match was 7 minutes and 31 seconds. Of our lives, we can't get back. Amen. And on that note, we're going to move on here to the next match of the evening for the WWE Women's Championship. Ivory defends the title against the Fabulous Moolah with Mae Young. Awful. Fucking <laughs> awful. One of the lowest points for the women's division in the history of wrestling. There were a lot lot of low points in this era too. Some of the spots were really, really, really fucking terrible. Okay. I felt bad for Ivory watching this match. It was the second straight match that ended with a roll-up of death. The fabulous Moolah was handed the women's title and the fans cheered for it at least briefly. And that is why this match is tonight. Fuck this shit. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is not starting out as a good pay-per-view at this point. No, it is not. It is not. Let's see if it gets worse, children. Go ahead, Mr. Hudrilli. Yes. Now, overall in this match, Moolah was basically trying to wrestle the way she did in the past. Like, for example, doing her chops and snap mares by pulling the hair and flipping, doing a knee up. She goes for a dive off the bottom rope, but Ivory rolls out of the way. First of all, you can clearly tell whatever outfit Moolah was wearing, she had no business wearing. Like, some people just should not wear spandex or singlets. I don't care if it's wrestling gear. Stay with us, children. Wrestling. And look, and I know Gator and I have had, uh, Gator, I know you and I have had this discussion in the past about the importance of wrestlers wearing gear, but I think we can both agree she could have put some more clothes on. I think we can agree on this one. There are better better gear that she could have wore, yes. Yes, I think we can agree, though, that was... she didn't wear no goddamn pajamas. No, but I think she could have used... Which is good, because, because if you wear pajamas in a wrestling ring, you deserve to be sodomized by the family camp. 
Yes, but I think we. I think if she wore it's pajamas, hilarious to me because it would be a Chinese girl getting solemnized by a cat. Karma. That's what that is. So that's called karma. That's also called. You know what that's also called? What? Yin and yang. Everything comes around as it goes around. You got eaten. Yes. I'll eat you. Yes. And all of a sudden, at one point in the match, Ivory hits a suicide dive on Mula that was sloppy and god fucking awful. Like it was not her fault. <laughs> Oh, I gotta hear this because that was a horrible fucking suicide. It was dive. not her fault. She tried to she tried to lessen the impact on Mula, so she didn't give it everything she could have. She tried to lessen the impact on Mula. That was yeah. It, it is her fault, but it's not her fault at the same time. She was trying to protect the elderly. Okay, so you're so so even though she botched it, she had good intentions behind she the botch. Good, is what you're saying? I mean, it's not even a botch. She she purposefully lightened up. Fair. Um, and then, of course, um, at one point, uh, they're trying to, you know, Ivory slams her on the announce table, goes to slam in the barricade, Mula reverses, goes her over the barricade. Ivory then attacks Mae Young, who, what the hell was she even doing here? She basically served no purpose. She goes back into the ring to hit Mula with the title, but Mae grabs her hair. Ivory turns around, hits Mae Young with the title. She takes a big bump to the floor, but if you're, if you've seen Mula, if you've seen Mae Young take bumps in the past, you know that ain't shit for her. Um, and then Mula then does a roll up for the win that was sloppy as fuck that was a sloppy ass fucking roll up that was god awful it was so horrible ivory looked stupid because she had to fucking stay there because she can't kick out even though she could have easily kicked out of that fucking thing the roll up of death the roll up of death i'm just like that's got to be the most embarrassing part when you're in a roll up that's not done properly and you know you could easily kick out of this but because it's the finish you have to fucking lay there that's sad so yeah yes overall you know what it is huh no no no, but really do you know what it is what the roll up of death. This match was god awful. Mula looked horrible, and Ivory looked worse having to sell for her. I think that accurately sums up. And how long did it take? It was three minutes and one second of our lives. We can't get back. And if it gone any longer, we'd have been tortured. And on that note, we could have have gotten secrets from the Taliban. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, we could have got secrets from the Taliban. And on that note, we are going to move on here to the next match of the evening. We got us some tag team action. We have the Hollies teaming up to take on the New Age Outlaws. This was an average tag team affair with a lame ending. I have written for years, I have talked for years, about how WWE booking disqualification matches in this long term are a lame way to book longer matches. Anyway, it was a typical tag with Dog as the babyface in peril for most of it, with Gun getting the hot tag and then the finish. It wasn't interesting to me. Dog gave hard for a pump handle slam on 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 the chair and then the outlaws music played and there was a bunch of bullshit moving on yes so obviously the new age outlaws come out and they do their thing you know it's the oh you didn't know yo ass better call somebody and they're like cleveland you damn right you see it's me it's me it's that do double g riding once again with that ba double d and they get in the ring and road dog is like cut the music and he goes welcome to the dog house where you know the new age outlaws always like to kick that shiznit doggy style and i still remember saying that as a kid and not knowing what doggy style was fucking hilarious um and now 
Oh, now it's hilarious. I love it. But I'm just saying, we used to get in trouble because we didn't know why we were getting angry, why we were getting yelled at by our parents for saying doggy style. Um, now then, just for fun, let's see if we can't make a little noise up in the gun. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, D-Generation X proudly brings to you its former WWF Tag Team Champions of the World, the Road Dog Jesse James, the badass Billy Gunn, the New Age Outlaws. Billy gets the mic and says, and of course, if you're not down with that we got two words for you and the crowd yells suck it most entertaining part of the whole match um like i said basic tag team match although there were some moments good and bad uh at one point crash got a tin lock had a chin lock locked in and positioned his body between road dog and billy gunn which i thought was great psychology and you don't see that often where you know you got a submission hole on somebody but you turn your body so that you're in between the two guys so he can't reach for the tag most people just lock in the submission where he can clearly drag over so I like the positioning of his body it's ring awareness it's psychology and it shows that you're actively trying to win a match um, at one point um, he hits a scoop slam and goes up top he comes down and dog gets the boot up but it looks like hardcore jumped right into it so it looked stupid to me which I always hated those spots like when they dive off and the guy puts the boot up because you can tell when they're jumping it looks like they're jumping right into the boot like they're not actively trying to splash so I always thought that was stupid I hated those spots um then at one point, Billy gets the hot tag, comes like a house fire to take out the Hollies. Crash got tagged in too. Uh, hardcore slides in a chair. Billy hits a famous to crash onto the chair, and they get DQ'd. Normally, I'm not a big fan of DQ finishes, but I thought that was a brilliant finish. I like the fact that they slid the chair in to get the DQ because it was a way of outsmarting everybody. It's like, okay, if Billy hits this famous, sir, we're going to lose. So let's, I'm going to sacrifice, you know, Crash for the sake of the win. And whether or not this leads to something else, I have no idea. I'm sure we'll find out if we ever get to uh, the next preview. Survivor Series 99 at some point down the road. We'll find out. But either way, overall, great tag team match. Love the back and forth. Both these guys are, you know, veterans of the game. And now, even though this was a basic tag team match, compared to the crazy shit you see in tag team wrestling today, I can actually love and appreciate it because both teams worked beautifully. Both teams had amazing chemistry with each other, and they both understood the concept of tag team wrestling. And like I said, aside from one stupid spot, the match was well done. That match, ladies and gentlemen, was 10 minutes and 11 seconds. And of Zachary Scott's life, then he can't get back. <laughs> because he drinks. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to move on here to the next match of the evening. Oh boy, here it comes. We have something interesting here, ladies and gentlemen. We have a good housekeeping match for the WWE Intercontinental title. Jeff Jarrett with Miss Kitty defends the title against China. This is a garbage bro. I say garbage because they use a lot of weapons and they don't really have a traditional match. While they barely did wrestling moves, it was more about using the weapons leading to a lot of comedy bullshit. The tongues to the groin were the crowd pleasers, though everybody loves the <coughs> tongues to the groin. It was a big moment for China and I think a lot of her fans were genuinely happy for her because apparently weed is legal wherever this place is. <laughs> China celebrates as the first ever women intercontinental champion. Miss Kitty uh, left with China, and uh, my life is now in shambles. 
Well, the show was in Cleveland, Ohio, and I don't think weed was legal in 1999 there or anywhere else. Yeah, but there was a lot of people that did it, so... Oh, absolutely. And if I remember correctly, I think this was the match where Jeff Jarrett was leaving, so he was able to get a major percentage of the gate in exchange for dropping the Intercontinental title of China. Drugs. Yes, I believe I heard that. Like, this was Jarrett's last night before he jumped ship to WCW. Um, Say it with me, children. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. It is a hell of a drug. He must have needed a lot of it to get that much money out of Vince. Um, but uh, I will say this. They had kitchen appliances and homemaker items surrounding the ring. And I will say what I like about the match is that it was different from other hard... It didn't feel like, okay, this is going to be a hardcore match. Especially when you have a no-holds bar match in the main event. The fact that they were using kitchen appliances and homemaker items at least made it different from the no-holds bar match we would see later in the night. So I at least appreciate the creativity and the fact that we didn't see the same shit in every no DQ match like you see in modern day wrestling. So I will give them an A for creativity. As far as I saw, uh, at one point I saw China pulls Jared out of the ring, slams him onto the barricade, does it right, unlike Midian who botched his barricade slam earlier in the night. So at least China had her shit together. Um, she then grabs a trash can, clocks him in the head with it. Jared rolls out of the ring. She hits him with a stick of salami or it was a sausage. We can't tell. Did you tell it was salami or sausage who gives a fuck this was terrible <laughs> i'm just saying i couldn't tell this which one it, no no it no more time this was bad yeah i'm just saying they had a frying pan a toilet seat lid this was no 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 save with uncle gator this was bad i i'm still reviewing it um there was uh you said it was bad not bad so yeah a banana was shoved down his throat at one point. Uh, of course, Attitude Era. There were trash can lids, and at one point... In your window. And while they're on the floor, uh, at one point, Jericho goes for a cover after uh, China goes through a table for a two count. So now we know it's false count anywhere. Because I didn't recall that being in the stipulation. So I was like, okay, you've now taught the audience this is false count anywhere because she's going for a pinfall outside the ring. Would have been nice to know that going in. Uh, Jericho climbed clocks her with a trash Jarrett sorry Jarrett clocks her with a trash can so finally Jeff Jarrett gets some offense because China's literally fucking him up for most of this match and yeah. so it's finally Jarrett gets some offense in and of course this is back when the guys and the girls mixed it up and no one was politically correct or butthurt or offended because they love China um Still then we got um then there was an ironing board that was used and next thing you know uh they're mixing eggs and flour and milk in a pot some, for some reason and then there's a he gets a handful of flour but China throws it in his face so somehow manages to counter it he then dumps the contraption onto Kitty by mistake uh, Jared then attacks from behind locks in the figure four she struggles but she finally makes it to the ropes and this was great psychology right here on the part of China but even though it was great psychology I'm confused as to why why are there rope breaks in a no DQ match someone someone want to explain this to me I noticed with no DQ matches they seem to cherry pick the rope breaks which I think is fucking stupid it's either there's rope breaks or there's not let's pick one and fucking stick with it ladies and gentlemen so that pissed me off um but that's through no fault of the talent it's the fault of whoever came up with the idea for this match probably russo uh china then hits him with the Mr. kitchen <laughs> china then hits him with the kitchen sink for a two count Mr. what 
Then we should stay. Yes, I just said that. So Miss Kitty uh, hangs Jared a pair of tongs, and he goes to the middle roads. He trying to catch him with a low blow. Very well done. She then grabs the tongs and claps onto his slap nuts, as I like to call it. Um, China then, like I said, through the kitchen sink for the two count. I wish that had been the finish. I felt that would have been more devastating than what we got. Uh, China goes for the pedigree. Jared fights out. I like that. She trips China back first onto the cake and catapults the turnbuckle into the ref and then clocks with the title for the win. Teddy then reverses the decision because the title isn't a household item and the match is already continued. I thought that was great storytelling and I like that they're saying, hey, it had to be homemade items only or homemaker items, household items only. I like the fact they're sticking with that. So then Jared snaps with the figure four on China. I mean, no, so he snaps with the figure four on Teddy. Then China hits Jared with a guitar and gets the win, which was a stupid finish because last I checked, the guitar is not a household item. No, 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 no. That is an item that you can find in your home. And a title belt isn't. Yes, not in your home, maybe in my home, but not your home. Uh, yeah, there's one in my home. Have you, uh, have you not seen our YouTube videos? That you, have not, that you have not paid thousands of dollars with and or did not win. First of all, I didn't pay thousands of dollars for that belt. I bought it for 250 Exactly, so it's a fake. It's okay. It's a replica, jackass, and we never say it the F-word. It still doesn't count. It still does not count. Hey, we do not use the F-word, Capron. Fuck you, it was fake. <laughs> Fuck you, it was fake, okay? I didn't say that in reference to your wrestling. Just for that, you get no hug. So anyway, um, so yeah, so, <laughs> so China gets the Intercontinental title, and it was an epic moment, and, and we're very historic, and one of the main reasons why, even though we're grateful that China went into the Hall of Fame with Degeneration X, she does deserve a solo spot in the future, and we look forward to the day she gets it, and... She does, she does, she never deserves a solo spot in the future because she's a woman, and she deserves to go in with the rest of the men. Moving on! <laughs> That's Gator for you and that ladies and gentlemen was nine no, minutes no, it, i think it's great that she wanted a good housekeeping match because she was in the kitchen <laughs> uh technically yes but um so it's that great this is the kind of women's wrestling i like when they're in the kitchen and yet you said this was bad oh no it was bad it was bad <laughs> Okay. But it was so bad. It's like a, it's like watching a horror movie that's so bad that it's good. Yeah. This is so bad that you just want to look at it and go, oh, it was the little engine that really fucking couldn't. Yes. It was the little engine with one leg, half an arm, and Tourette. It makes perfect sense. And this match, ladies and gentlemen, was nine minutes and 57 seconds. Of our lives, we can't get back. Yeah. <laughs> And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We've got... God damn it, that big clitted bitch should have been in the kitchen. <laughs> we just established that technically she was. I'm just telling you, she should have been doing my laundry. I think that's literally the promos Jarrett was cutting leading up to this match. I don't give a fuck. She should have been doing my laundry. She should have been making my food. When daddy wants a sandwich, daddy wants a sandwich. So you go make daddy a sandwich. Gator, have you no respect for the dead? Fuck you. If daddy wants a sandwich, you go make daddy a sandwich. Yeah. I'm out there cutting the grass. You pour daddy some lemonade. It's hot outside. Exactly. You take care of daddy and daddy will take care of you. Ah, I love Anthony Mackie. Say what now? I said I love Anthony Mackie. Don't you? Yeah, he was the guy that did that on Wendy Williams' show, fucked with everybody's head. I know, that's what I'm saying. You make daddy a sandwich. Yeah. 
It's like you want me, hey, if somebody says something smart to you, you expect me to do something about it, right? You know, you want me to open your car door. You want me to pull out your chair, right? So you make daddy a sandwich. <laughs> Sometimes. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm just saying, you go, hey, I'm just saying, if I'm out there cutting the grass, you bring daddy some lemonade. It's hot outside. Out here cutting this damn grass. And on that <laughs> note, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We've got The Rock one-on-one -on -one against the British Bulldog. This was a rough match to get through. It was smart to keep it short. Rock rock matches usually have a lot more excitement with a hotter crowd. But the fans barely got into this. They did all these spots that the fans could ha should have cared about, yet there was no reaction until Rock hit a rock bottom and the people's elbow. I was always a Bulldog fan. This one just wasn't interesting of a story or match. Yes, and first of all, before at the start of this match, I love the fact that Jerry Lawler, I want to give a shout out to the King, uh, I love that he pointed out that The Rock didn't have his tag belt with him, his tag title belt, and I agree with him that The Rock should come out to the ring with it. Especially since he had it in the thumbnail for the, for the match. Like, you have it in the picture, it's on the poster, wear your fucking title, okay? I don't care if you and Mankind are blah blah not getting along, wear your fucking title. The WWE title is the only, and I also they said the WWE title is the only title that the Bulldog never held in WWE. He was champion on everything else. I found that intriguing. That That's the one title the Bulldog never held. World title. So the match starts. They're exchanging blows. The Rock sends Bulldog out of the ring. Rock goes to slam into the time cruise table, but Bulldog blocks and slams him into it. He then throws a chair on him. Why is that not a DQ? A chair was just used. We're not disqualifying anymore. Just... Are the referees just supposed to stand there and eat popcorn like the ones we see in AEW? That, that's what we're doing now? I'll take Gator Silence and say yes. Uh, Bulldog slams the rock face first onto the announce table and then throws him back in the ring. Thank you. Surprise wasn't a count out with how long they were out there. It's like, the fuck? Again, no psychology. No rules being followed. This is goddamn ridiculous. The rock then sends the bulldog on the turnbuckle. Why did the bulldog flip like that? He could have broken his neck. I thought that was a stupid fucking spot. That was the bulldog being an idiot. Uh, bulldog hits a power slam, gets Gets the cover, but The Rock puts his foot on the rope. I thought that was great psychology, protecting the finish. Very well done. Bulldog goes for it again. The Rock fights out, hits the rock bottom and the people's elbow, gets the win. Very solid match, despite the fact the crowd wasn't into it and there was a lot of bad psychology. But either way, the match was six minutes and 20 seconds. Of our lives, we can't get back. Yes. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We have ourselves a ladder match for the managerial services of Terry Reynolds and $100,000 cash that's hanging above the ring. Edge and Christian take on the new brood with Gangrel. Children! Mr. Bujarelli? Yes? You know this was the Terry Invitational Tournament, right? Yes. Yes, it was the T-I-T. Yes. The tip. Yes. I was aware of their play on words back then. Yes, it's beautiful. Th this match is awesome. It was awesome in 99. It's still awesome now. Um, kudos to the Hardys and Edge and Christian for an amazing effort they put on in this match. Uh, they came up with a lot of creative stuff here, okay? Uh, using the ladder, ladder is a weapon a lot and doing a bunch of high spots, okay? I'm not normally a high spot guy, but in this case, it is okay because it's a ladder match. 
Now, do I like the fact they had more than one ladder? No, Uncle Gator only wants one ladder. But I don't completely hate this either. Neither do I. And I will say this, though. I Normally, I agree with Gator. There should only be one ladder. But this is a tag team match. So I can understand the use of two ladders. But at least there were only two that were used, though. They didn't bring out five, six, seven. It was literally two ladders for the four guys. So Matt and Edge could climb on one. Christian and Jeff could climb on the other. And they could do spots. So I like the fact that they only use two ladders. So I let that slide because it's a tag team match. Uh, if it was a singles match, I would have agreed with you. So I'll just say that. And also, this was the first ever tag team ladder match in WWE history. This is the first time we've ever saw a tag team ladder match. And it was phenomenal. In fact, when people talk about No Mercy 99, this is the match that people remember. This was the match of the night that everyone remembers and everyone talks about. They talk more about this than they do the good housekeeping match. Like, those are the only two memorable matches matches from this entire show two most memorable this is has and they have valid reasons why like i love here edge drop kicks jeff who went to get the ladder matt hits edge with a flying clothesline off the apron and both moves were done fluently so they looked believable and that's why i love that spot no wasted motion there was no blatantly obvious cooperation no one standing there waiting to catch anybody it was believable it looked like a fight even with christian and jeff doing the tug of war with the ladder before he gets sent in a turnbuckle and then it's a flying drop kick while scaling the ladder I thought that was a great spot. Uh, I also love how Edge slams Christian onto the ladder. What weird double team move was that? I thought that was odd. That was when um, he slid the top of the ladder on the Matt's crotch, then double baseball slide the ladder into his crotch. They sandwiched Jeff into the ladder repeatedly, and then Edge just slams Christian onto the ladder to, I guess, cause more damage to Jeff, but it hurts Christian too. What the fuck was that? That was the only what the fuck were you thinking moment in the match. It made no fucking sense, but then they set up the ladders, and Jeff hit a twist of fate onto Christian as Edge Edge climbs up, but Jeff climbs up the other ladder and hits Edge with a downwards, what they call it a downward spiral, but it more looked it looked more like a flatliner off the ladder. So I mean they called it a downward spiral, but it looked like a flatliner. Unless unless it's a downward spiral and they changed the name to a flatliner later. I don't know, but that just didn't look like a downward spiral to me. Then of course JR says it's all it's always about money, they're pros, and Jerry says it's about Terry. Like JR's like, no, they care about the money, King. King's like, I don't care about the money, I want Terry. Puppies! That shit. Then Christian falls to the floor, but Jeff jumps onto the other ladder, knocks Edge off, grabs the money for the win. I thought that was a phenomenal fucking finish. Loved it. And in the end, the Hardys win. They get Terry as their manager. Next night on Raw, they shook hands and had mutual respect for one another. Gangrel just magically fucking disappeared. Like, I don't even know. If, I don't even remember if the Hardys even officially turned on him. I think he just fucking disappeared. Am I correct? Yeah. But like I said, phenomenal, historic match, and it was 16 minutes and 30 seconds. On that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. This fuck. Uh, we have Val Venus one-on-one -on -one against Mankind. Question. Yes. Why? Apparently, Val attacked Mankind bathroom on heat. It was decent. I mean, decent match and never got into the next gear. Lane finish. Kind of cheesy. The story was Mankind was dazed a bit with Val working on the head. Uh, fans never got into this in terms of booing Val Venus for being the heel. Uh, the idea was that they wanted to elevate 
foul Venus since they need some upper mid-card heels. So they were using a former WWE champion to put Val over and it failed dramatically. Yeah, this match was, I mean, it was a fight. It was definitely a fight. Um, although next thing you know, uh, there's a whole thing revolved around Mr. Rocco. That was dumb. Val Venus apparently stole Mr. Rocco, fully pulled it out of his tights and then Val hits him from behind when he celebrates and puts Mr. Rocco back in his pants. Literally fighting over a sock that they're putting in their crotch. Um, Bully then runs out, hits a clothesline, he breaks the count, and they continue all great psychology to break the count. Like that someone's doing that, not just standing out there and the ref having to pretend he's not counting anymore. Reckless and troll. Then uh, at one point he went up top, goes for the money shot, but misses his fully rolls out of the way. I thought it was a great build of suspense, the way Val, you know, built it up to make it seem like, oh shit, he's going to hit this. It'll look believable. Um, I loved, uh, although of course we get to the end where Val pulls out Rocco, Foley hits the mandible claw with Socko, and next thing you know, Foley puts the sock in Val's mouth. Val grabs Foley by the balls. Still can't believe this is a thing. Surprise, there's not a disqualification being called. But not only that, this finish was stupid because Foley passes out from the pain, then Val passes out, but he lands on top of Foley, and that's how he gets the win. How the fuck does Foley pass out? Someone want to tell me that? I don't know. Anybody out there had their nuts squeezed to the point where you passed out? Have you not had your nuts squeezed to the point where you passed out? No, and, and there's been... Then you like, don't know. Then there's, well, I've seen a lot of porn where the guys had their nuts squeezed and no one passed out from fucking that. That's porn. That's different. I'm just saying, that sounds like the dumbest shit in the world to me. And the fact there was no DQ called and whatever else. It was... The finish was stupid. The fight was actually a, a very decent fight. Fairly decent match. It really was. These guys really brought the fight to each other, but that finish was just for goddamn ridiculous. And this match, of course, was 9 minutes and 26 seconds. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We have a four corners elimination match. We got Bradshaw versus Farouk versus Kane versus X-Pac. Wrestling. Yes, wrestling. Anything else to add? Wrestling. Is there nothing else to add to this? Wrestling. Okay. I gotta do this one. So Pac and Kane fight the Acolytes. Now, this is a four coins elimination match, but they're still wrestling as if it's a tag so match. Much. They're wrestling as a tag match, and it's supposed to be a four corners match with every man for himself. So anyway, Bradshaw tags in Farouk at one point. I'm like, it's a four corners match. You can literally tag anybody else you want in the match. Why bring your partner in? Tag somebody else, tag the partner, let them fight. And eventually we have to see that coming in as, you know, Bradshaw clubs him in the back of the head and tags himself in. But Bradshaw goes to hit Pac, but he moves out of the way and tags in Farouk. So now Bradshaw and Farouk are in the ring, and Bradshaw immediately attacks him, which I love. I love that they are aware that it's every man for himself and just said, fuck it, we gonna brawl. Because buddies are like that. They understand. So they get in the ring, they immediately start fighting. Then, of course, we have X-Pac going for a cross body, but Bradshaw catches him. Kane hits a big boot and Pac gets a two count. Great combo. I wish that had led to an elimination. I felt like that should have been an elimination right there. Especially since we already know Bradshaw's the first one eliminated because later Bradshaw hits a big boot on Kane. Kane sits up and after Bradshaw gets a shoot shot on Pac, Kane chokes lands him and gets a pin. So if Bradshaw was already going to be the first one out. Why not do it that way? It would have been a great, better finish. Pac then hits a spinning heel kick off the top rope and pins Kane. Now Kane is eliminated. Soccer. Farouk hits him from behind, sends him to the outside. He slams him to the timekeeper's table and then hits him with the ring bell. So I assume this is no DQ. Pac then hits a DDT on the floor. We then get to the end where Farouk puts Pac on the turnbuckle. Pac fights him off. Farouk comes off the top. Pac counters with the X Factor and gets the win. So X Pac ends up winning the whole entire thing. And basically, with the exception of Kane eliminating Bradshaw, he eliminates the other two. So in the end, X Pac gets the win. Win and what was a, like I said, 
right. It was a fight, but it was just disorganized. It was one of those matches that was like, why is this here? I can answer that. Why? Wrestling! Exactly. And... I, I, can't, I can't speak on any of this. Okay. Well, hopefully Gator will come back, because now we're moving on to the main event of the evening. We have a no-holds-barred match for the WWE title. Triple H defends the title against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay, uh, this is a great match, children. Austin was on the offense for most of it. Hunter took a beating, bled like he would do many times in his career in major title matches. It's worth pointing out there was no rest hold, not a chin lock, not a nothing. It was 20 minutes of pure D brawling, pure D brawling. Triple H winning in a manner like that, where he where he capitalized on Rock hitting Austin with a which was perfect for Hunter. It fit his character perfectly. If you want to watch the best Austin Triple H match, check this out. Absolutely. And this, of course, was, like we said before, a very big brawl. Uh, Vince takes the sledgehammer from Triple H, who knocks him out. This is the start of the match. Austin then runs up the ramp and slams Triple H in the session table and the side of a camera. Thank God he didn't knock it over, because I usually hate spots like that. I don't like when they throw shit into the camera, because it's like, dude, that camera breaks. You got nothing to capture the rest of the show. So I thought that was dumb. Um, later on, Austin Triple H fighting the crowd around the building. No one else has done this tonight, so it's okay. Like, I'm totally okay, okay with this. If you, here's the problem. You can't, and I, I heard JR say this. You need to give the main event enough to work with. 100%. I agree. And, and because back then they understood that concept... That usually means we're gonna see great shit, you know. But when but when the main event doesn't have enough to work with, then it looks like they're copying everybody else. So like I said, this was totally okay. And then uh, I love the part where part where Austin grabbed a crutch from the fan and attacked Triple H with it. Kind of had an ECW like vibe to that. Um, then at one point Triple H goes for a pedigree, but Austin counters a catapult, hits the referee, and they both go over the barricade. Um, why the fuck did the ref just stand there? I, I, that's why these spots make no sense. If you clearly see somebody going for a catapult, Here's a bright idea. Get the fuck out the way. Move, bitch. Get out the way. Get out the way, bitch. Get out the way. Now move. No. Exactly. No, you're right. Exactly. Seriously. What the fuck? This is that's for goddamn ridiculous to me. That they just just they just stand there like idiots. I can understand it was unexpected, but you clearly give them enough time to move out the fucking way. Move, bitch. Get out the way. No. Then eventually Triple H hits a pedigree, but there's no ref. Earl Hebner runs down and makes the count, but Austin kicks out at two. Triple H shoves Earl. He shoves him back. Triple H shoves him harder. Earl Hebner bounces off the ropes, ends up shoving him even harder. And I love this spot right here because, again, the ref isn't taking shit. I love that. Referees should not be afraid to exert their authority on any wrestler. I don't care if he's the top swinging dick motherfucker in the locker room. You're supposed to be the authority. Now, you're not supposed to be stronger than the wrestlers, but you're not supposed to take their shit either. Obviously, yes. they hit you. Yes, you punch them in the balls. Yeah. And also, the momentum from the ropes made that hard push believable. Like, Earl Hebner was that wasn't strength, that was momentum. So, like, he's bouncing off the ropes, so it's giving him momentum to hit Triple H just as hard. So that's why that spot worked. Right in the nutsack. You just punch him right in the nutsack. Yes. Austin then slams Triple H in the announce table, and he gets busted open. No one else has bled, and this is a no-holds-barred match, so this is also acceptable. That's why I enjoy this. There was nobody else bled, gave the main event the blood, which was good, and it's a no-holds-barred match, so the bleeding is okay. This is why we're accepting of this, even though normally at times we are not. 
Um, and then, of course, uh, Triple H chop blocked the injured knee of Austin, which I thought was great psychology, as well as wrapping it around the steel ring post. Again, great psychology here. Chopping down the leg. Austin, of course, selling the leg because that's common sense. Well, but again, there's psychology. There's storytelling. Yes, it's violence, but they're also telling a story, further proving that is fucking doable. You don't see it today because it's being done by people who don't know what the fuck they're doing. These guys know what the fuck they're doing, even in 1999. Oh, yeah, they know what they're doing. You are beautiful on the inside. You are innocent, personified. I will drink and tell yeah. your coke. Run to hay. I am cold like December snow. No. You don't have time for the whole town. Um, yeah, then they have a tug of war with a chair, and Austin hits him with the chair and then beats the shit out of him with the chair, focusing on the legs. Again, storytelling. I thought that was well done. Triple H is a low blow to stop it. That's when, of course, The Rock came out with the sledgehammer. The Rock with a pedigree. Win. Perfect. Austin snaps, attacks Triple H. He's walking in the back, fights him all over the building. Triple H fights him and then gets in the limit with China and they drive off. And that is the end of the show. I thought that was a great ending. Yeah, wrestling. So, of course, this is going to lead to other stuff down the road that I'm sure we'll be talking about in the future. Of course, overall, this was WWE No Mercy 99, the first of many. And I like this because it showed that, you know, you don't have to do a lot of crazy, stupid shit to get the crowd over. And it also shows that you can have violent matches or spot matches. And if they're done correctly, they can be believable and entertaining. That's what I love about this pay-per-view. Because there were a few things in here that normally Gator and I hate. Because they were being done by professionals who know how to do it properly. Sparingly. Sparingly. And they were done sparingly as well. That's another good thing. Because being done by professionals who know what the hell they're doing, how to still make it look like actual fight which as we've mentioned many many times before that is the secret to wrestling making the fight the match look as if it's a real fight and a real match as long as you're making it look believable and convincing do pretty much anything when it's when it looks phonier than a football bat that it becomes a problem when it looks phonier than the movie the titanic well, that movie wasn't that phony was it? The movie was phony. We do know it was based on real events. No, we don't know that. Anyway, moving on. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up uh, this review of WWE No Mercy 9. Gator, as always, uh, thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule. Just, and I look forward to seeing you on the next one. Yes, because you know I'm busy. Bye, bitches. All right. And, of course, make sure you guys uh, follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites also like us on facebook go to facebook.com cast have archived episodes of the show as well as content also be sure to follow us on twitter and instagram at the Boochcast. get the latest tweet photos and videos visit our youtube channel check out all of our youtube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted uh we're still working on uh dark side of the ring um we're still trying to get a uh, dark side of the 2000s recorded as well and now with Lance Goodman back in the mix, I am hoping to make in Dark Side of Football. Try to get that out to you guys as well. So all that coming soon. Boochcast YouTube channel. Subscribe now. Get notified. Check out the content that's already there. And be ready for the new content that drops. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. So we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, November the 25th for the WWE Survivor Series. Uh, we are still trying to work the kinks out 
out on that. I'm trying to get the team organized, get them together, find out who can do uh, the watch party and who can't, see if we can get it together. Fortunately, I will not be able to attend the Survivor Series watch party because on the 24th and the 25th of November, I will be in Winston-Salem, North Carolina with Buff the Stuff Bagwell or WrestleCade. That's right. We're going to be there for WrestleCade, one of the biggest wrestling conventions on the planet planet so if you're in the winston-salem north carolina area come on down meet the stars come say hi to me too and for those of you who are not in the winston-salem north carolina area and are planning on watching the survivor series you can go to twitch.tv hang out with the Boochcast team check out all the fun and of course you can also support and of course we have our live D&D show coming soon our Boochcast booking battle and a special project in uh, and of course you can support the Boochcast on podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support become a supporter of the Boochcast support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes we have three levels you can donate at pick the one that works the best within it we have our first level which is 99 cents one dollar per month we have our second level which is 4.99 five dollars per month same amount of money you would pay for a peacock subscription i know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the peacock so don't give them money give us money we got better content than peacock anyway and we got the third and final level you can donate at which is for a mere 9.99 ten dollars per month same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE network subscription here in the united states ever since they sold it to peacock you got to put that 9.99 10.99 bring it over here we got better content than the network and unlike endeavor we actually care about our fans are dedicated to giving the people what they want the option of paying with your credit card or with gpay and the best part is all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity we used to upgrade our equipment we used to bring in bigger name guests pay the bills and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the booch cast a success so if you got a favorite co-host and believes are to be paid for their hard work podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the booch cast slash support is how you make that happen then if there's any money left over when it's all said and done we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him late. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, aka The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. Talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. A la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.